Hey, welcome to this episode of the More Than Code podcast. Today, I'm uh, really excited to have Gergay Oros here with me. Hey, Gergay, thanks for joining. Yeah, great to be here. So I'm going to start off with uh, where did you grow up and where do you live now? I'm originally from Hungary, so quite a, quite a bit away. But after college, uh, during university, I, I lived for two years in Kansas, middle of nowhere, I guess. But as a kid, you don't really notice that. Um, and right after graduation, I moved to the UK. So uh, I, I lived a few years in Edinburgh, a couple more in London. And now I'm in Am- Amsterdam, probably a bit more permanently here. Now I have a family and, and kids, and this place is amazing with kids. But yeah, moved around quite a bit. Yeah, so Kansas, as in Kansas in the States? or is there Yeah, Kansas in the States. No, okay. it's, it's Kansas in the state. When I, from, from when I was five to seven, my parents are, were researchers, so they got a grant there. To work there so i was in in this tiny town which seemed huge at a time uh called lawrence cool is there a specific field they research in or what do they do it's it's chemistry so it it, it was really ironic because my dad told me that this was in the when he graduated it was in the 70s or or or, or, or yeah, i think late 70s and at the time there were two fields that were really booming chemistry and tech as, as in software development and he wasn't sure which one to choose. He actually programmed in Fortran a little bit, but in the end, he just chose chemistry. And he said it, it was really interesting because it was pretty clear that chemistry would change the world. All the drugs were coming out. By the time he graduated, things started to slow down a little bit. And now he's telling me that th- this field is, is, is pretty difficult. There's a less innovation. And the, and his biggest regret was that the barrier to entry is really high in terms of if you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to have hundreds of millions of dollars to set up a plant, research, and some of those things. So uh, when I was growing up, he brought a lot of tech books just around the house. I think he tried to encourage us to just, you know, get get into this. Uh, And both me and I have a brother as well. We we both uh, graduated. We we both chose uh, university to, to study tech and we're both in the tech field now. Nice. Well, that worked out pretty well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've had a, a very impressive career. Companies like JP Morgan, Microsoft, Uber, and now you're a full-time author. What led you to transitioning from that you know, traditional big tech career to being an author? So I, 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 it was more situational. I never planned for it. In fact, I don't think I planned for anything in my career. When when some people look at my career, it, it does look impressive now looking back with the, the names. Honestly, I, I think a lot of it is luck. I, I joined some companies at the time when they were growing. For example, I, I joined Skype in London. I, I didn't know where I was going. All I knew it sounded like a pretty cool opportunity. And it was right when Microsoft bought them and there was a huge growth following and I, I got to work on some fun projects. Uh, same same thing later. I, I managed to join this smaller startup called Skyscanner, which had a tiny London office, and it was in the middle of an explosive growth. And the same thing with Uber. I, I joined Uber when it was I think, really hyped uh, at, at the peak in 2016, before uh, a lot of the negative press and negative news. And Uber as a whole maybe didn't grow as much while I was there, but the office that I was in Amsterdam really did. So why I became I decided to do become a, a full time author for at least a, a few months. Uh, I just Hit, hit a pause. Uh, I, I was f- four years at Uber, and I told myself that after four years, I'll, I'll look back and decide, like, um, like what what do I want to do? And interesting enough, I before Uber, I my, my brother's in startups. He's on his second startup, uh, sold one, and, and now uh, he's a bootstrap. Sorry, not bootstrap, but he's, he's raised capital for this for the second one. So in the family, I was always in kind of the big stable companies, and he was always doing his own thing. 
And I saw how difficult it is. It's really difficult to do a startup. A lot of people are talking about how they want to do it. But after spending a few years at Uber, I felt a lot more ready for this, uh, surprising to myself. So my main goal is potentially to start a startup or at least explore this this opportunity. But I don't want to rush into it. And there's there was this book that has been on my mind for a long time. And I've been, I've been writing it on the side. And I just found it a, a good timing to uh, take a break from basically big tech or, or working as an employee at companies for a few months. Uh, I, I also found I, I have this vivid memory. When I was in the U.S. in college, that's where I met my wife now. Um, in, in Hungary, the average salary for a software engineer is like $20,000, something like that. Maybe these days it's a bit higher, 30000 And someone told me that their dad works in tech and, and he makes 150 k And I was thinking to myself, oh, man, if I ever made 150 k I wow, my life would be sorted. That's just so much money. And uh, I, I had this memory of I, I was making you know, more than 150K now, e- even in Europe with uh, companies like Uber. And I also had a good amount of savings. And I was reflecting on, hold on, I, I do have options. I, I don't have to stay in this field. I can explore. I can take some risk. So I just decided to take that risk. It, it felt like the good time for me and just push myself to do something new. Uh, one thing I've noticed about myself, I get bored if I do the same thing for more than a year. So this is just doing yet another challenge. I don't know how it'll work out. I, I might go back uh, or I might just learn some new skills. Um, starting with the book seems like a pretty cool intro to a startup, right? Because it has a lot of the same challenges, but maybe the the hurdle's a little smaller. You know, you finish the book and then the thing's done, whereas the startups now they're quite done. Is that how you're looking at it or how do you approach that? Um, so... I, I really wanted to to get this book done, and, and and the book is about just summarizing a bit of my experience and, and outlook. So I was a software engineer for almost ten years, and I was lucky enough then to to have the opportunity to move into management, which which I also really enjoyed, and I, I really really enjoyed helping people grow. I, I got such a kick out of it, and and I I thought I I was decent at it. And what I also noticed is, especially in Europe, I, I am based in Europe. Uh, here there there is. A lot bigger divide between the, I will say, modern tech companies that, that are pretty common in Silicon Valley versus traditional tech companies. And a lot of people I talk with have no clue what a senior should even look like. You know, for example, should a senior mentor? They, they think no. A lot of companies here discourage seniors mentoring. It's, it's crazy. Uh, and they also have no clue what's beyond senior. At a traditional tech companies, you have the level junior engineer, senior engineer, and the manager in terms of seniority and, and salary and all those things. So I, I kind of wanted to open this up a little bit. There's a lot of engineers who are really frustrated not being able to to move from small companies to larger companies because they just don't have the skills and they don't know what their these skills are missing. So this was a bucket list item, and it, it just made it easier to leave Uber because I have something to do. Uh, I, I don't think I would have been comfortable with just spending months just figuring out what I'm doing next. I'm writing the book. I'm also talking with with folks, uh, getting some ideas, but it's keeping me busy. Uh, it's it's forcing me to complete it in a shorter amount of time, and then we'll see. Like the startup is. Uh, if I have good business ideas uh, that I b- truly believe in, I'll give it an honest shot. If not, I'll, I probably meet some interesting people on the way and I'll, I'll decide what to do from there. So honestly, it seemed like a, a safe way to transition into this. And it's forcing me to deliver something, uh, specifically a, a book. Well, the perspective. What is your, what is your writing process like? So 
what my ideal writing process would be <laughs> is ideal and reality don't quite match well up. I, I, ideal and, and reality i had a really good process when i was on my parental uh leave so I, I started writing this book a year ago when when i i was on my parental leave uh uber was really generous and they rolled out this new new policy of uh having a four months parental leave which sounds amazing but first three months uh, i was home with my son and in the last month, he started to transition to nursery. Here in the Netherlands, uh, kids go to nursery like like they can go from three months old, and, and he was seven months old. And so I had a couple of free days, and because I only had very few days, I, I was just I went to cafes and I wrote there. So my ideal writing process would be going to cafes and writing there. It's COVID, so it's a little bit more challenging, but I, I am having blocks. So it's I, I need to force myself to, to make progress. I. Uh, I was working with a publisher, which is really useful. And in the end, we decided to, to part ways, but they helped me set a structure for, so I have an outline for the book. And this is, I, I talk with a lot of authors. Uh, most people tell me it's super easy to get excited. And a lot of people have gotten excited and start to write a book, but they never finished it. And the key to finishing it is you need to have an outline that you follow and, and you check off. So every day I'll, I'll choose a topic. I'll, I'll write about it. And then often um, I'll, I'm going to self-publish, and there's two two reasons for for this. Now that I'm doing this this full time, the the royalties are with traditional publishers are not that great. If you want to have any hopes of of seeing any any monetary value, and they're very delayed. Uh, but more importantly, with a uh, working with a publisher, they own the copyright to everything you own. And one of the things I really wanted to do is be able to publish as I write. This would have been a hard sell for for most publishers. So my my writing process is I'm writing it and I'm, I'm posting it on my blog as well i'll get some feedback um just 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 the the draft ones and that's the idea and i'll i'll, I'll be doing that for a couple months and hopefully we'll then there will be an editing process which again a lot of people underestimated but i'm hiring a, an editor when you work with a publisher you get these things for free basically so the publisher takes a, a cut but they provide a lot of value and i'll uh, i'll offer that from my own pocket so yeah writing and, and the editing process and alternating and in between i'm trying to just have interesting conversations because one of the most difficult things about writing is th the reason it's great to write a book or or an ebook while you have a, a job or something is you have a lot of interesting stuff going on in your life it, it can be a bit isolating just writing and you're not going to get anything you know like good if, if you just kind of have yourself to converse with at least that's my take yeah so i did two books i did one self-published and one with a publisher and you're definitely right. The margins are a lot better with the self-publish. And I think the thing that helped me the best with the the publisher was you do have accountability, right? Someone's expecting you to deliver something. But probably even better was the self-published. I sold pre-orders. And the pre-orders really motivated me more than anything else to finish. Um, probably because it kind of short-tracked that weight, right? I was already seeing some reward from the work. Yep, uh, absolutely. So it, it is self disposed. So in this sense, I guess you're, you're right. It's not, it's probably not too different having a startup or writing a book. It's, it, you need to pace yourself. You need to hold yourself accountable, have those deadlines. Because what I found uh, after leaving Uber, it's ridiculous, but I, I thought I would have all this time and I could do all these things. If, if anyone's thinking about leaving their job, you won't. The, the day sh suddenly gets shorter. For example, I, I drop my kids off later. I pick them up earlier. Uh, these these chores that, that I usually do really quickly because I don't have time, they stretch out a lot of time. And it's interesting. I, I thought I was joking. Uh, I told my wife that you know once I'm not going to have a job, I'm, I'm going to play like two days straight with Xbox because I, I never do that. I, I, I don't feel like it's a good use of my time. And I still haven't done it. <laughs> so... There you go. One day. Yeah, one day. One day. Yeah. Maybe when I'll retire. 
Um, do you have family there in Amsterdam or do you plan to stay in Amsterdam? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have family, uh, I have my wife and we have two kids and we're, we're definitely fine to stay. It's a incredibly family friendly place. So I'm very happy with the move. We, we moved here actually because we were living in London. My daughter was born and there's a lot of great things about London. It's just like one of the big metropolises. I think it's somewhat comparable in terms of living to like New York or maybe San Francisco. It's just not great with, with kids. So in, in London, you don't see young people and you don't see old people because they, they just moved out. There's better place if, if you have, if, if you're in either of the situations. Gotcha. So thinking back on your career, what is the project that you're most proud of? I, I had a lot of interesting projects i guess like there's two that really stuck with me one of them is at the beginning of my career and one is a bit later the first one was a it's a very interesting one with uh, when i was at university uh, with my brother we we got a small contract to build a, a, a gambling game for a german entrepreneur in germany um, casinos are are really easy to open and then you can have you have like family-owned casinos so you can open like one or two of them and this was like a a guy who owned like three small casinos and and, and he wanted to do just a simple slot machine type of game and all, all of this is it's really easy to do and, and it's uh it's legal and so my brother was doing the front-end development and i was in the back end and i was at university and it just felt I knew this was a lot of responsibility because that game was registering points of the player, but that translated later to money. We weren't handling the money movement, but it it, it went there. And I was really worried about how I'm going to get this right and what what if I make mistakes. And I just re- read about this thing called unit testing, and I was like, yeah, I, I'll need to do that. It was just a gut feel, and I started to add it in. Um, my brother was basically the project manager, and he was in contact with the client. And he started giving me a hard time about it. It's a typical, oh, let's just skip the test because the client is waiting and we need to ship it. And it just felt wrong. And I put my foot down. We got into a huge fight. Uh, the project was late by a week. We didn't talk for two after. And I wasn't sure if I did the right thing, but it just it just felt wrong to, to not have the tests. And it paid off because two years later, uh, we, we handed off the project. It was, I guess, a success. We, we got paid like peanuts at the time, but, but still, it was a good experience. And two years le- later, I met the team who there was a team actually maintaining it. And they told me that those tests, it, it just saved them so many times. And they're so thankful that there were some tests. And I just like this project because I've had multiple times in my career where I was unsure if I should listen to my gut. Uh, and I did. And and it, it, it did work out later. So this this was a reminder. And the second project that I'm, I'm quite... Um, proud of is when I joined Uber, uh, we were rewriting, uh, I, I joined in the middle of a project rewriting Uber's uh, rider app. This is the, the main Uber app that most people know, which would have doesn't sound very impressive, but it was a, an app with about 2 million lines of code. And we had 400 engineers doing it. And it was a complete rewrite from scratch. And we had this really short deadline of maybe like three or four months, which was a self-imposed deadline at TK at the time. The, the CEO, he, he just made up this deadline a year before. He said, we're going to have a new app by the end of the year. And I think he told the media about it and we have to do it. And the the challenge was I, I was brand new to the team. When I joined, I I I came from a, an environment where we had Scrum and some some structured work. At Uber, it was a bit more free form. And, and this, again, remember, this was a time where Uber was... Uh, seen as as they couldn't do anything wrong. They were like the, the biggest, the best, the fastest growing. And as soon, as soon as I joined, I just got suspicious. It just seems to me that people are lying to themselves, like a bit like putting their, their hands in, in the sand uh, because 
everyone's working on on their own work. There was like 16 different streams. People were doing their own estimates and, and everyone was behind. It was a classic people commit, engineers commit, but then they're late. And from, I guess, the first weeks, my manager asked me and other people asked me, how, you know, how's it going? And I was like, well, it's going good, but I'm pretty sure we're, we're going to be late with this project. And they're like, no, 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 don't worry. You know what's going on. Sure enough, um, three weeks later, I was completing my boot camp or four, four weeks later, my boot camp. And my manager came up to me and asked me to be, to manage this project, to be the project manager. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, for, why are you asking? And turns out that some other people noticed that the team was, was late, but no one said a thing. And they said, oh, here's this guy who's saying that this thing is late and he has some ideas. So for, from there on, I, I, I was pretty certain we couldn't turn the project around. We had about four weeks to finish work that seemed to be like three months, but we somehow managed to do it. We just cut scope ruthlessly. We started to put our A team on the, on the golden path on the most important things. And we cut more scope and, and, and we had this hard conversation that in the end we shipped something that was good enough. Uh, even on launch day, uh, it was a really stressful launch, but we somehow turned it around and this project. It was very stressful. We worked through the weekends. I, I didn't do anything nearly since then as well. It really got the team together. So even years later, people were telling me, you know what? I wouldn't, it wasn't that great, but actually I kind of missed that, that project. There was some sort of camaraderie at, at that point. And we pulled off something that all of us thought was impossible. And somehow we did it. I, I still don't know how, but, but it was a defining moment. And, and it still bonds me to the people that I work with. So. It was a terrible slash great project. And I think sometimes what I've learned is sometimes if, if you're, you have this stressful project that is terrible and, and you're hating your life, obviously try to fix it. But sometimes you might look back and you might learn something really important from that. Yeah. When I think back on my career, probably the worst projects are the ones that bonded me to the team the most, right? We came out as a much stronger team at the end after getting through those just horrendous projects. Yeah. It's it's really counterintuitive because I think I, I've been a manager since, and as a manager, you know what, uh, what what the conventional wisdom is: protect the team. You know, don't let people burn out. I have a little bit of contrarian view on that. I, I like to think of teams as having this like sinus spline up up and down. I, I think a good team is is where you have some stress, not too much, but you, you have like a deadline, something you march towards. Again, not 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 crazy, but you you have some sort of stress. But when that's over, you have a release, a chill, and I, I think it's good to repeat that. So just having a, a flat line where everything's the same every single day, I, I'm not sure that will lead to the best things. Obviously, take care and, and look out for people. But I found that people do appreciate pushing themselves. It's a bit like training for for sports, let's say in athletics. You, you want to do some sprints and, and then some some slow jogging as opposed to just doing a continuous run uh, in the same pace. Yeah, I love that. That definitely reads true for me as well. I think the worst companies were the ones where it was just a nonstop sprint, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Then other companies we, where we, we can agree just, with that. <laughs> yeah. I've been in other companies where it was stable. And those don't really stand out, right? It was kind of boring. I didn't stay very long because, yeah, it wasn't interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I like to think that those jobs are the ones you want to join when you're about to retire. But I think in our industry, we'll, we'll, we'll see when, when we're going to retire, actually. And I just read a Hacker News comment on some, I think, an 80-year-old developer said, like, am I oldest, the oldest developer who's still active? And there was other people in their 70s replying, no, I'm, I'm still doing it. Some even older replying. So who, who knows how long we'll be able to do it? Because unlike a lot of professions, you know, like physically, a lot of us will be healthy when we're 80 or 90, and hopefully mentally as well. So there we go. <laughs> the long winded thought <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully we're still at it in our 80s all right 
the hardest question of the day star wars or star trek oh that, that's a hard one and, and you know why because i i'm one of the few people who just didn't watch either i'm all for science fiction i read star wars in the book uh i i had it on my bookshelf and i watched it a, a bit again one of the very few people i i just didn't have a, a, a strong bonding with it um, but i saw star wars if if, if right. you if you need to get an answer I, I i still like the the modern ones got it uh what is your favorite cocktail my favorite cocktail so <laughs> it's funny you should ask because one of and uh, w- one of the things that i i'm also most proud of the, the third one is I, I built the most popular cocktail website in all of Hungary, like when I was in high school or, or well, a bit after high school, because uh, I was just fed up that I couldn't find cocktail recipes. And then later on Windows Phone, uh, I built together with my brother the most popular cocktail app on Windows Phone, which would later port to iPhone and Android. And if you search for cocktail, it, it still pops up as number one or number two. It's called Cocktail Flow. But my favorite cocktail is Cuba Libra uh, with spicy rum. Good choice. So you started out as an engineer, and then you later moved to management. What was the impetus for that change, and would you recommend that career path? So I moving into management was an interesting one because before Uber, I, I was a skyscanner where I kind of like just suddenly found my found myself in management. I, I joined as a as an engineer, I was a principal engineer, which was just a, honestly a fancy title. I, I joined a small team, which was an acqui hire with two founders, and we had to build a product. And suddenly we had to hire people. I was doing mobile development and they told me, all right, hire a few mobile developers under you or with you to, to do stuff. So I hired them and I I looked up mentorship and all that, but I, I didn't know anything about this. So I was kind of acting as a manager with, with no training. And, you know, I, I kind of did it um, as, as I could. I, I was I was thinking of myself as a, as a lead, basically. And when I moved to Uber, I, I joined as a senior engineer. Uh, I, I was actually interested in moving as a lead or, or tech lead, but they told me there's no open positions. And I was completely happy with that. I figured Uber is really interesting as is. In hindsight, I'm really happy I, I joined as an engineer because I spent the first six months just coding, getting to know the code base, getting to know all, all, all the engineers. And then uh, there was an opportunity to move into management because my manager had 30 directs. All of Amsterdam was reporting to him and we were trying to hire engineering managers and it just didn't really work out. He, he delegated a bunch of work to me. I was leading this project, which is a big one. So I, I was practically managing like 10 or 20 people. Most of my time was spent with project management and one-on-ones. And I just told him, look, I, I see you're overloaded. I'm interested in actually giving management a proper shot, unlike last time where I, I was thrown into this. Uber had an apprentice, man- apprentice management program. This meant that in order to become a manager, you first become an apprentice manager. You had to go through an application process with interviews with director they basically they made sure that you have the right motivations you're not going in there because you want more power or that kind of stuff and we also got training and it was a bit of a safety net as well and the other thing that in hindsight i really really liked about uber is uh so <laughs> the different people think different things about uber but uber was pretty self-conscious they saw that they have a lot of new managers and they also knew that if you have a lot of new managers you're going to have a lot of not great managers so they designed this program to make it safe to go into management and and even even more important, safe to go back. So there was no salary raise. Uh, there was no, in fact, my compensation pro- pretty much dropped because my bonus was lower because I was now compared to my manager peers. And you know, when you're a new manager, you're not the best manager. And I was pretty good in the, on the senior engineer side. Um, so this was great that I, I, I got some, some training. It, it also gave... 
like because I was an apprentice manager, people like when you're when you've got that L letter when you're driving, people knew to you know like go a bit easier on me. And I really liked this experience uh, and. The fact that my salary didn't change, the fact that I was leaving a little bit of money on the table, it was great because I had to ask myself the question, do I want more money or, and, you know, compensation and a higher level? Cause on the engineering track, I was, I could have gone to the next level or do I want to work as a manager and learn about this and, and help people? And I decided I, I felt I was growing a lot more. I was learning a lot of new stuff. So I stayed on this track. To your question, would I recommend it? I absolutely would recommend trying out what it's like to be a manager for anyone who's reached a senior level. So I, I would not recommend it before you've got into, you know, like being a confident engineer, maybe even changing some, some tracks. And the reason I wouldn't recommend it is I talk with a couple of people who've, who did this change earlier in their career after a few years, a lot of them went being back to being an engineer because they didn't feel comfortable mentoring other people, especially when they had like people with 10 or 20 years of experience. Uh, but um, I've, I've seen I've seen people at, at Uber, especially because it was easier to go over to management. I've seen a lot of people succeed. I've seen a lot, some people go back into being an engineer, and that made them a lot better engineer. Some of the best staff engineers I work with and principal engineers, they were managers at some point, but they decided they could do it, or or some decided they didn't want to do it. But you get such an empathy, and I, I think a whole new world opens, and you realize it's not black and white. A lot of people complain about their managers and performance process and promotions. When you're a manager, you realize it's all about constraints. As a manager, your hand is tied. Um, for example, I had no control over, over what salary my directs have. It was all centrally decided. Even even bonuses, I, I didn't have ability to to, to to like divide bonuses, whatnot. So it was just really re revealing to see, and and. And, and it was also revealing to see just how much behind the scenes work I, I had to do that. For example, I couldn't even share with people. I'll give an example. Someone is not doing, there's a few people are complaining about this person and now you need to figure out like, you know, how to handle that. And in some cases there might even be a performance improvement process going on a PIP, which you, you can't talk about. Or in some cases I was working against, uh, work, working to make sure that this doesn't happen. And I had to be away from the team and I, I, I couldn't share this. I, I, and all my team saw that I was distant and I now had a new appreciation for, you know, when you think your manager's flaky or don't do, doesn't do any work. Well, maybe that's the case, but there, there's a chance that they have something even more important thing to do than attend the standup, for example. Yeah. I went through the path of started as an engineer, went into management, and then now I'm back as an IC. And I'm very thankful for the experience because I use it every day, right? The skills I learned as a manager, building consensus, bringing people along for decisions, how to communicate. Uh, those things have just been incredibly helpful um, as a staff engineer. So I, I really recommend it. Even if you decide not to stay or if you go back and forth over your career, I recommend trying it out. Yeah. And the interesting thing about becoming a manager is, I do see some people be, being hesitant. I, I know at least two or three people who I think would have made good managers, but they decided to, and there was an opening, but they decided after a lot of deliberation to not do it because some, some of them saw how messy it was and they talked with other managers. One thing to keep in mind is it is hard to move into management. It is rare to get an opening in the grand scheme of things. Your company needs to be growing and those openings, if, if you don't take it, they can close. So uh, again, my, my point is that even if you're hesitant, it, it might be worth to give it an honest shot because it, it will make you professionally stronger. Again, I, I don't think you should ever go into management saying, oh, I'm going to try it out. You need to be committed. Uh, you, you, you need to say, okay, I'll, I'll try this for like one year or two years and then see what it's like. Because 
uh, you know, like as a manager, you do impact a lot of other people. But as you said, like I, I think you're you're proving my point. I I can't really think of any staff engineer who who I really look up to and who either has not been a manager at some point or or just has the skills that a lot of managers uh, need to have a lot of soft skills, understanding the business, uh, collaboration, and, and influencing without a, without authority. So I've read uh, uh, some of your writing. One thing you talk about is why writing is an important skill for engineers. Can you pitch that to us? Why should engineers care about their writing? Oh, boy. So at Uber, one of the biggest, most frequent questions I've, I've got from people, we have, we have a lot of people whose native language is not English, um, in, in, well, especially in the Amsterdam office. And I've had a lot of senior folks, so people at the senior level, tell me, Ask, ask me for asking me for for advice and support on how they can improve their writing because Uber was it was a distributed company so we were in Amsterdam we'd be working with San Francisco with India with Denmark and this is true for any office you're sitting in and a lot of communication was done uh, asynchronously and some of these uh, there were a couple of engineers who found themselves they were pretty good at, at talking with people and convincing them but but in writing they, they struggled to get the right phrases to not come across as too aggressive or or just someone who doesn't have an opinion. And they really, really struggled with this. Uh, they, uh, they, what, what they were missing is, is both a little bit of professional writing, but also there, there were people who didn't really practice writing and, and collecting their thoughts. And I do think that in any larger organization that when you go beyond an office where you're all sitting together, being clear in your writing is, is really important. Email is, is a key, key um, tool for any senior or above engineers these days you need to be able to communicate with a variety of stakeholders and yeah i i I found that writing and communication which goes hand in hand has has gotten in the way of people and it goes the other way as well i i I never you know thought of myself as someone who who writes a lot but it turns out that compared to my peers i do I, i have this tendency to write write down quickly notes share them out put together presentations and the feedback I've gotten consistently is people were a little bit amazed and they found it really helpful. Some of the things that I wrote internally with, with an Uber, which I spend an hour putting together a presentation, it sometimes got circulated for, for months uh, and, and referred to. And that, that's another thing. I don't think it, too many engineers do take the time and even managers do take the time to write things down. And when you do, you really stand out because uh, you're now able to transmit uh, community transmit information to very different parts of the organization in time or in space. And especially with the current remote work, if I could advise something, so I, I would say, you know, getting coding and and like getting those hard skills, it's really important. But once, once you've done that, I would suggest people writing people, for example, blogging or, or writing emails or, or you know, practicing however you can. And also reading, read, reading fiction, nonfiction, it will help you grow as a professional. And this is really strange. I never thought I would give this advice. Uh, thinking back when I, when I started software engineering, because all I thought it I, when I started, I thought it's all about code and writing clean code and some of these things. Uh, those things are important, but this is just as much. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I'm fairly new to the position here at Wayfair, and it has been so nice to read what people have written. Because otherwise, building context is such a chore. You have to do you know ten calls with ten different people to track down the context on one thing. But all it takes is one one-page document to give you the same amount of clarity. Yeah, and and I, I will share one really interesting example that I had that just reinforced on how 
at times, again, I think it's important that you don't go overboard, right? Like if you have a, you should, you don't want to work in an organization where everything's just written and you don't talk with people. But we once had a manager's offsite uh, at, at Uber, and there was a lot of managers and a lot of high-level managers coming in. And we had this meeting. This was you know before COVID, so we we're in person. This meeting with about like twenty people, and I felt we didn't get anything done. We we didn't have good facilitation. Uh, and we were rotating who's facilitating, and the next one was on me. And I, I knew there's a lot of people, a lot of cooks, a lot of opinions. It's, it's going to be hard to make progress. So I just took a page from the Amazon cookbook, which is I put together a one pager document, or like I think one and a half pages uh, of what we're going to, what we want to accomplish. I, I sent it out an email, but I just printed it out and put it on everyone's table. And in, on that meeting, that next meeting in 60 minutes, we went through more things with more deliberately than, than we did. And it was possible because I wrote down something that then people were able to read and comprehend. And then we were able to have a conversation on that. And again, having talked with people who work at Amazon, it, it seems a lot of people are saying it's a bit overboard and it's a, it, it can get in the way. But if you're um, a senior engineer or, or, or above, uh, I, I recommend just try it out once. Run a meeting where you facilitate, where you just like have a, an a agenda that was well, hard to print it out these days, but you know, put it on the screen and have everyone read it for let's say five ten minutes and see how it goes. And maybe you'll find it useful, or or maybe you'll learn something else. Love it. I'll try that. So you're a fairly prolific tweeter. In general, you seem to work in public pretty often. What is the motivation behind that? What drives you to be so open? Yeah, so I, I didn't really think too much of it. While I was working at Uber, well, I, I think one of the things, while I was working at Uber, it it, it was definitely a lot more difficult. You had to balance. Like, uh, of, of course, there's, whenever you work at a, a company, you're associated with that brand, and you want to be careful on what you're saying. I, I even got in a little bit of trouble once where I uh, there was a thread on microservices, this microservices, that, and, and I, I made this innocent tweet. It was just under a tweet and saying that for the record at Uber, we're moving to macroservices. And suddenly I felt the whole internet exploded. This got retweeted like a thousand times. I got, I got D, uh, a DHH commenting and a CTO of Spotify. And a lot of people were just making comments of like, oh, you know, Uber this, Uber that. So people were suddenly associating me, my opinion, which was just a very limited view of what I'm seeing in my, my team. Uh, with all of Uber, and then I, I had like I had comms reach out to me and uh, with with an Uber because they also saw it. So suddenly I was very conscious of uh, it is very easy to get get mashed in especially in positive or, or, or negative context. But the the other part on on where I can I found that I'm getting really good feedback and I get more ideas uh, this way. So I I found I know everyone has different experiences. I had a positive experience with with Twitter uh, as well as with Hacker News. So. And my whole, I guess, writing in public started with the with a interesting a setup. About I had a blog, which is my first name, last name dot com. I think is full of spam with with WordPress. I have to, I'll have to clean it up. But I wrote on that for years, just like not having any strategy. I just wrote whatever. I had this bug fix and I put it there, and I never got much interaction. But about four years ago, I, I read this blog post from Jeff Atwood about how he started uh, his own blog, Coding Horror, which I was a big fan of when I was younger. And he said that he just blogged twice a week for for a year, and then the magic happened. And I decided, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this a go. I'm gonna I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to write once a week for for three months. So I started to write a, an article every single week, and I kind of got inspired by his style. And I did this for six or seven weeks. I didn't get many results, so I stopped. But two months later, one of my articles got a huge traffic boost because I think the servers were down. And it, turned, it, it was submitted to Hacker News, and I got 50 or so comments with people agreeing and disagreeing. And that's when I thought, hold on, 
if people care about what I have to say. So that's when I started to uh, write some of these opinions, a bit bit more well-researched opinions. So a lot of my writing is typically or used to be a bit longer form and, and, and research, and it often resonates with people. I, I get feedback on it. So I, I just, honestly, I had a positive loop, and, and that, that kept me going. So same thing on Twitter. I'm trying to avoid talking about like like small talk where I see some some people do like motivational tweets, that kind of stuff. I, I usually research something, I, I put it out there, and I've gotten a lot of inspiration. So often I will I will uh, share something that I have a draft with and I ask people, hey, does anyone have anything else? A good example is I, I'm planning to write still about platform engineering. And I, I put together a few notes that I had and I asked like anyone have any other ideas. And a lot of people said, I'm, I'm really interested if, if you're writing about this because I'm I'm also on a platform team. I have no clue what I'm doing. Me neither, me neither, me neither. So it's it's I find Twitter a great way to connect with some part of the tech community that I, I didn't even know existed. It's it's a really surprising one. Again, it works better for me than LinkedIn, for example. Subscribe me to that post as well. I'm also on a platform team. So I'm Oh, there we go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> What are you struggling with right now? Personal, professional, both? What, 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 what am I struggling? Well, one is I, I am a bit struggling with, with, I thought it would be easier for me to have a structure after I, I um, left Uber. I am struggling a bit with when you leave a, a company. I, I was kind of joking that after you leave a company, everyone either goes to a new company or start a startup. And that's what I, I saw. Either people jump ship and you don't really are, are in between. And sometimes I, I do feel like, am I doing the right thing? Uh, again, I, I have people reaching out to me for, you know, some people are like, hey, do you want to work at this company or do you want to do that? And it's uh, it, 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 so I do sometimes ask myself, like, did I do the right thing by actually just taking a, a bit of a break, which is just very unusual. There's few people in this situation. There's even fewer people. There are some people who say they're they, they're they're sick of tech and they're going to lead an indie lifestyle and they'll bootstrap things. And I, I'm not doing that. So I feel I'm a little bit alone with what I'm doing. I have some support from my brother who did something similar. Uh, he, he after his startup got acquired and, and he served, he worked for another three or four years at this larger company. He took a full break from things. He didn't know what what he would do, and he told me that it did him really well to just do six months of of not having a plan. And he told me that it actually helped him reflect, helped him grow, and it helps him decide what he really is excited about doing. So. Again, this is not a sabbatical. It's it's, it's something else, but that, that is a it's more of a struggle than I thought it would be. I was really confident when I said, "All right, here I go," and it is a little bit surprising slash scary. After leaving big tech, I realized I had you know, such. Sometimes I'm asking myself, "Was I was I crazy?" I had a, a great uh, package, uh, amazing benefits, uh, even here in in, in Europe, from like uh, from from health insurance to to, to food to like. Uh, uh, all sorts of allowances, uh, gym, everything. I'm just thinking to myself, wow, a lot of people would would be really happy. So I'm questioning myself when 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 I was in university, when I, I said like, oh man, if I had a job like that, I why would I ever leave it? So, but I, I think the the adventure is is what uh, there's a sense of adventure that keeps me going. Makes sense. The grass is always greener, right? So when you're in the oh, big company, yeah. it sounds fun, and when you're on hour ninety that week of working on a startup, a big company, it sounds pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> I think that captures this really well. So what do you do for fun away from the computer? What are your hobbies? Uh, one of my hobbies is swimming. I, I, I used to do this sport that very few people know about. It's called pentathlon. Have you heard of pentathlon? 
Oh. It's one of the five original Olympic sports. So the, the founder of Modern Olympics, uh, Count Cubertin, he, he put five sports that always need to be in the program. And one of them is pentathlon. It's a military sport. It's, uh, it's running, swimming, shooting, fencing, and horseback riding. Uh, so this, this came from like early in the part. And, and Hungary is really, really popular. There's multiple Olympic champions. When I was a kid, I started doing this. And, and this is running and swimming for a bunch of time. And then you, you get the technical sports. It's a bit of an expensive sport, but I, I quit when I was uh, in, in my teens because it was way too much. Some of my friends are still doing it, and they're, they, they were on the Olympic team, which is really cool. But I, I had swimming left from here. I was a pretty good swimmer when I was younger. And ever since uh, I, I quit, I, I've been swimming on master swimming teams. I even swam on the European Master Championship. So I, I just find it a really relaxing um, sport. It's a bit of a tricky one because uh, as... When 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 you used to be at a pro level, you can't really go to public pools because you're faster than others. So it's 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 nice because there there is always a team that I swim with. So that that's one of the biggest uh, ones. And I sometimes do the hoops. So just throw, throw on the basketball. Awesome. That's pretty cool that you did it so seriously. Yeah. So it was. <laughs> again, we we have a fam- family story. My 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 dad was a really good swimmer. He was national top three, something like that, when he was fourteen. And his parents were. So my grandparents are teachers. And this was, again, this was in, in the 70s or 80s. So, like, the, the hunger was still part of the U- USSR. Uh, and some people showed up from the capital uh, saying they, they want to take my dad into private school because they're going to make an Olympic champion out of him because uh, they see the talent. And this this was an honor, really. Uh, and my, and his, my grandparents had none of this. They were like, nope, he's a smart kid. He's not going to do sports. So I, I had something similar happen with, with me and my brother as well. We were both pretty good at what we were doing. And my parents said, nope, we're, you're, you're not going to dedicate yourself to sport because you see that you've got other talents. And at the time, there's a lot of rebellion, uh, you know, like hate, hating your parents. But in hindsight, they were right. I, I am a lot happier that uh, I, I chose. A, I managed to find a career that I really enjoy. And, and you can keep, keep getting better at even when you're older. I have some peers again. I mentioned there, there's one of the guys who's on the Olympic team and, and he was in top 10 in, in London. And for them, uh, it's kind of like it's starting to be like the peak of their career and their sports career is over and they have to start from scratch, which is I, I, I never consider if I wouldn't have known these people, I, I wouldn't have seen this very different part. And it, it seems it's really hard for them. Yeah, that it would be because it just consumes most of their life, right? Yeah. So one of the last questions here, what is your production function? So what this means is, what is it that drives you? What is your motivation behind the work you do? What makes you different than others? And just how prolific you are and how much you're out there in the world? I'll, I'll, I'll see if this answers it. But I, I guess the thing that drives me, I, I really like to try out new things. And I I usually like a good challenge. So when when something is not obvious to do or or someone's not done it before or or you've got a really small team th- those things really motivate me and that's where i do my best i, I don't like to settle for good enough uh, i i i've learned this i I'm, it probably helps me that i i'm not like like i'm from a small country where when i grew up i i always read the news about the us and silicon valley companies and all i, I never thought that i would ever you know, be around here. And I still sometimes have this imposter syndrome that I, I don't believe. So I, I, I probably compensate for this, but I also see the more I do this. And I, I had a conversation with, a with another, um, person, uh, the other day, who's from Indonesia. And this person was one of the first interns who ever interned in a Silicon Valley tech company. And he went back to Indonesia and he started a company there. 
And and we we had a similar conversation on how uh, both of us felt that like Silicon Valley and and that tech world is just so much better than us. But when you're there, you realize like, well, all it takes is hard work and, and dedication. And the other thing that I realized that I think uh, any listener to the show can can reflect on that it is not that hard to be the best in the world in in a niche in, in any niche. Tech is so large. May that be writing a book on a specific. Uh, thing, for example, like I, I saw, I know, I know the person who, who wrote probably the best book on on Ansible out there, and you know they're probably not a, a huge person. You, you probably did something similar with, with like a niche part of your PHP, but it's not really hard to do it. But you just want to. But when you do it, you just set yourself to to just raise that quality bar because that's how you learn. That's how you get better, and people will also notice this. So that this was a, another thing that I've realized. If if you put yourself, you will get noticed. And a good example is my my brother, who's he's doing a second startup as a self start startup. Uh, all they're doing, they're just trying to build a note taking app that's more seamless than anything you've seen, and they're just focusing on iOS, Mac, uh, and iPad. And they're in beta; it's not even in public. And they already have the major industry players notice them and reaching out to them. And they've never advertised a thing. They're just doing something that is just really good. And they said, "We want to do something that's better than anything there. Let's research what's out there. Let's make it better." So I, I think I think there's still such a huge opportunity in tech to stand out, to do something great. Uh, and some of this will, of course, fail. It might not be a business success, but there, there's no excuse for for not trying to do better than, than was there. And I, I feel we're still, tech has not settled. Like when I look at chemistry, so I have this perspective from my dad where it, it is kind of game over in the sense. It, it's hard to innovate and you need to get super lucky and you need to get those things. It's not the case with tech. It's so, so many things changing on, on the platform side of things. Technology is changing. There's a lot of new engineers coming in. Anyone with more than three or four years experience is is your you're, you're probably in the top fifty percent in terms of people with experience. So I think it's a really exciting. It'll be a really exciting decade to come and beyond. That's a great point. Patrick McKenzie always talks about niches and how it's easy to underestimate how easy it is to stand out in a certain field because if you get to any certain niche like note taking, how many people in the world actually spent a thousand? 5,000 hours thinking deeply and reading and researching and learning about this topic? Probably very few. So really, if there's something you find interesting, it's surprisingly easy to become one of the top experts in that subject. Yeah. So so that, that, that's also what, what I'll be g- giving a shot uh, after the book to see if I find a, a niche that I'm excited about and, and that I also find interesting. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Leave us with any recommendations for games or books or podcasts you think listeners should check out so for for book i i have a recommendation that was really uh, a pleasant one it's on my desk as well it's called the philosophy of software design now this is a book that's not on amazon it's not uh, it's only on paperback it's, it's been published by a stanford professor it's a it's a very thin book and i'm always like I was pretty skeptical when I read it because it's from a, well, because it sounded like it's from a university professor. It's it's not one of it, it doesn't claim to be anything. And then and the book starts really humble. It says that it doesn't promise to teach you. Um, it, it, it I think the author admits that he, they might not know everything or too much about architecture. But it's the only book I found on software architecture, which is probably one of the most kind of scientific books. This professor ran multiple semesters of the same architecture course, and he was able to observe what's happening there in, in a six month course on Stanford. And the recommendations are super practical. Uh, they're, they're, they're a lot of aha moments for me and they're very applicable. A lot of prin- principal and, and senior engineers who read this book told me the same thing. Wow. I'm, I, I've got some really, really 
cool ideas and they're very applicable ones. So I, I think this is a book that is great for anyone. And I think it will just change your, your way of, of how you think about books. Again, most books are, are written by, by industry experts based on, you know, shipping this or shipping that. Uh, this is really refreshing. And I, I, I found it uh, a really nice one. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Gregory. It's It's been great. Thanks for being uh, It was great being here. So thanks very much.